welcome to the Thrive Subscribe Podcast, where we inspire you, challenge you, and give you the tools you need to transform your pharmacy practice. We'll help you to thrive with new and old revenue streams so you too can succeed with your patients and your business. Now let me turn you over to your host today, Dr. Randy McDonough. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Thrive Subscribe and our weekly podcast. Today, our guest is Nicholas Dorich, and Nick is Director of Pharmacy Relations at Pharmacy Quality Solutions, or PQS. PQS is a performance management company representing approximately 80% of the Medicaid, Medicare Advantage payers and about 95% of community pharmacies. PQS's platform EQUIP provides key medication use quality measures, including medication adherence, gaps in care, and patient safety to the stakeholders with the end goal of improving patient outcomes. Welcome, Nick, and thank you for your time this morning. Morning, Randy, and uh, thanks for the invite. Happy to be engaged with the conversation today. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to our discussion. That sounds great. Well, for my first question, Nick, you know, PQS has been a leader for pharmacy quality measures and providing pharmacists with pharmacy quality metrics that can help their patients achieve the therapeutic outcomes with safe and effective medications. What impact have community pharmacists had on these quality metrics since these first became available? Yeah, thanks, Randy. It's a, a great question for us to start with. Um, I think I, I don't think there's any one of us that would um, say that pharmacists are truly recognized for the work and for the improvements in patient care that uh, that we know that pharmacists are able to achieve. And as we have a changing healthcare system, um, there's a bit of chaos, but uh, that, that bit of chaos creates the opportunity for um, innovation, uh, for new products, new services, and for new players to get involved and really improve patient care outcomes. And, and uh, I think we're definitely in a bit of a transition period. Uh, and pharmacists are certainly being looked at more and more as a healthcare provider, um, now I can I can talk from a little bit as far as um, you know PQS and what we've seen with some of the data, and then similarly even just looking at some of the performance data from from CMS that has occurred really over the last decade or so. Um, from from that standpoint, you look at um, adherence uh, adherence scores, which adherence scores are just one marker um, for improving improving care or improving medication utilization, but they're not the, the be-all, end-all result. Um, but we have seen that year over year that those scores from, from CMS, that those do continue to rise for the main classes of medication, that those have continued to improve um, each and every year. Uh, certainly when it does come to improving medication adherence, um, pharmacists are front and center for having that conversation with patients. Um, and they, I would say that they're the primary driver um, for why those scores have um, increased uh, by multiple percentage points um, going going back over the last you know seven to seven to eight years. So that, that I, I appreciate that. And one of the questions I have is, uh, and especially as you talked about, you know, we were in the middle of um, disruption, chaos, as you said it, and I yep. totally agree with you. And with that comes innovation. And so obviously community pharmacists are are looking for ways of how they can better improve the care of their patients. But one of the things you said at the very end is that you really do believe that pharmacists are, are front and center of this, and they may be the primary reasons. So working with the different plants that you work with, what's their take on that? Oh, great question. So uh, this is where activity um, and how a pharmacist works with patients, um, that's an important action. 
But from a from a standpoint of a broader healthcare system, um, there's another component of it that has to be essential, and this goes to documentation, and this goes to uh, having an explanation uh, for how the services, how the patient cared approach, um, how that's done, and how that's unique. Um, and and I say that as such because from a data standpoint, whether it's the health plans or we at PQS are looking at some of this performance information. We can see trends that are, you know, positive, that are neutral, or that are negative. And when we talk to pharmacists about, well, what are you doing that's that's changing or improving these scores? Um, more frequently than we would like to admit, we have folks that aren't really sure what's different or what's changing, um, and that's particularly troublesome. Um, when when we are having changes and we have are having improvements, it's really important for pharmacists to understand. Um, what are they doing from that patient care approach? And and ultimately, you know, Randy, for you as a pharmacist, if you've got something, if you have some activities or a particular approach to a conversation with a patient that's working, um, you probably want your pharmacist to do more of those things that are working versus and do have them do less of those things that are not working, right? I think that's a pretty um, simple uh, simple conversation or a pretty simple thought. Uh, but the documentation part of it, I, I know that goes back as well to something that I was taught um, in the very beginning of pharmacy school, and that if it's not documented, it doesn't, it didn't happen. And we do find that that can be problematic. So when it comes to, and, and Randy, to address your question specifically, what are the health plans and what do the groups think about that? Um, improving patient outcomes, certainly an interest, improving those scores, that's a good way to mark that item. Um, but if pharmacists don't have a good documentation or good description, to how and why those scores are improving, it is going to limit the opportunity. So that would be my one recommendation to pharmacists. Make sure you're documenting and make sure you have a good explanation for how your activities are improving patient care. That is well taken. I totally agree. It's not only that we need the outcome measure, which you're helping to provide that for us with the ultimate outcome, which we're not getting obviously from the equip, but we can be getting from um, some of the claims data would be, are we reducing hospitalizations, ED visits, events that might be causing problems, um, you know, for the patients and things like that. But process measures become just as important as the outcome measures because you got to know how you got there to figure out the best practices, um, et cetera. So I, I totally agree with you. You know, Nick, I was speaking to, uh, we had our um, NCPA meeting this past uh, weekend in San Diego and um, with the CPSN USA and Flip the Pharmacy uh, we were talking about, you know, how transformation is going and things like that. But we did have one of our speakers being a representative from um, Iowa Blue Cross Blue Shield for the work that's been done with the value-based pharmacy program in Iowa. And when someone asked, how did we get there? I said, well, you know, it started with a pilot project at Towncrest Pharmacy. And I said, they had the claims data. They could demonstrate that we were saving the amount of money that we we're saving per patient per month. But we had a story behind it with the documentation. And when we could show that story that we made, you know, over that year period, almost 18,000 clinical interventions, the types of interventions that we made, the types of drug therapy problems that we found, and what were the outcomes of the interventions, that put the whole story together because that impressed them to know we had that level of data within our pharmacy. And as we know, data speaks, correct? <laughs> yeah, that, that, well, yeah, and I'll expand upon that because uh, data is a, is a key component, but that's, um, if we're thinking about our SOAP notes, that's the objective uh, data, right? Um, I would say when it comes to pharmacy and, and to your uh, question prior, 
it's the explanation description. That's that subjective information that we we still need to do a better job working through some of that as well in terms of being able to um, describe effectively what we're doing. And and Randy, I'll, I'll point to another item there um, that you that you were talking about. And and this goes to just the measures themselves. Um, you know, part of quality improvement in healthcare, it's it's you know improving care, improving access, reducing costs for patients, et cetera, all of those items. Um, part of the natural process in quality improvement is um, change and increased development enhancement of the measures that are there. So, you know, even the measures that we look at now, whether it be adherence or statin use and diabetes, some of those measures, they're, they're the measures that have a focus now for, for payers because they are involved with different quality programs. But um, I'll be the first one to say that, um, you know, we want to get to a place where the measures that we are looking at are related to controlling A1C or controlling blood pressure or reducing um, rescue inhalers for patients with asthma, things of that nature. Um, and we are going to get there. It, it's it's taking a while to be there, um, but it is it is an item where in the meantime, payers and I would add employers, employer groups as well, are looking for groups that can, for pharmacists, that can engage with them on the measures that are that are key to their success for here and now. So um, we're going to get to the place that is true outcomes-based measures, but in the meantime, we got to make sure that we're showing improvement for the measures that do currently exist. I would add we should be involved with groups that are developing these measures um, because those measures are based on guidelines and data. So the more engagement, more in data, more involvement there are for developing or reviewing those measures, the more meaningful they can be as well. Um, so there's a lot of opportunities there for pharmacists to help shape the future as it relates to quality measures and value-based payment. I appreciate that. It just demonstrates that we're still, you know, at the early stages of this, and this is going to be evolving as we go. Um, and it sounds like not just for pharmacists, but also for companies such as PQS. So I appreciate that information. Because I go to the next question, you know, as more and more community pharmacies struggle financially, and I can tell you, we just got our third quarter numbers and we felt that we felt the pain mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and it's because of reductions in reimbursement dir fees everything on the products distribution side and so it's getting harder and harder you try to you got to fight for a better cost of goods sold you're trying to do the best that you can to control your expenses but if you really are going to be in this game of providing services you still have to have sufficient staffing to be able to do that so it becomes challenging from that perspective so obviously it's important that pharmacists get paid for the clinical activities to ensure that their patients are optimizing their medications. So from your perspective, what opportunities do community pharmacists have in, in a value-based reimbursed healthcare system? Yeah. And uh, Randy, appreciate the question here. And, um, you know, if, if I had, you know, if I had a dollar for every time and older or a pharmacist older than I am, <laughs> if they had told me, hey, if, I, if only I got paid what I did back in the 90s, the 80s or the 70s, um, you know, it, it, I'd be I'd be in a pretty good shape myself financially. Um, and we're never the point is we're never going to get back to, to that place. Right. Um, and even as you look at the political discourse or in the media, um, cost of medications continues to be a very hot topic as it relates to healthcare in the U.S., despite the cost for medications being less than 10 percent of uh, of healthcare of healthcare spending. So, um, and it doesn't impact some patients more than others, obviously based upon um, disease states and management there that goes to it. So, it, but it is it is very much a hot topic. Um, and, and I would I would guess if I'm looking into the crystal ball that um, you know we're never going to get to a point where we're getting paid more for medications, especially when we're looking at um, opportunities for other potential groups entering the space of medication 
you know, distribution um, that that could be that could be in the marketplace. So for me, um, while medication dispensing is an essential and integral part of the uh, role of the pharmacist in the healthcare system, the part where we really need to have a shift is towards more of the enhanced uh, cognitive cognitive services. So pharmacists really getting um, recognized, being paid for. Um, actually managing and optimizing medication therapy. So um, I did reference this a little bit before um, in, in for engagement for health plans, um, but also employers. Um, there is there is a lot of opportunity where organizations and employee employee based healthcare where um, groups they are looking for ways to reduce their healthcare spending and get more more juice out of the squeeze for its either their employees or their or their beneficiaries. So groups are definitely looking for solutions and for pharmacists that are innovative, that are um, thinking about how they can look for other opportunities, there's definitely groups that are looking for assistance. So whatever those enhanced services are, um, immunizations, health screenings, MTM or MTM related activities. Um, that's really where I see pharmacists have an, have an opportunity for um, getting paid, for, for being recognized. Um, I know it's a lot of people are excited this week where uh, Administrator uh, Verma had uh, had some comments that uh, you know they may be updating uh, and having pharmacists recognized as providers under Medicare. Um, but even with that happening or not happening, uh, there's always an opportunity for for you as a pharmacist to go out to your local health plans, local employer groups, and to talk about how the service that you provide um, can lend itself to improve patient outcomes. I appreciate that. You know, you, you talked about a couple of things, cost of medications and then also the need for enhanced services. So here's some statistics I want to throw at you. And I, I'm sorry, yeah. I don't have the citations right in front of me. Um, so these are going to be approximate numbers, but they are coming from citations that have been out there. So in 2015, in the United States, we spent about $320 billion on, on drug therapy. So as you said, it still only represents about 10% of the healthcare pie. So we obviously, to me, as we look at healthcare cost, everything seems to be expanding, right? <laughs> so it does. It's also yep. hospitalizations and everything else. But then a year later, a study came out that looked at um, when medications are not optimized. And in the United States, we spent, you know, close to $700 billion in monies to correct the problems. Um, associated with um, um, people not optimizing their medications and approximately 300,000 deaths associated with medication-related problems. So is that part of the discussion, you know, because you talked about the employers, you talked about the plans. Do they fully understand that, you know, the cost of therapy is, you know, the drug cost is is a hard cost. We get that. But boy, if you're not optimizing that hard cost, the dangers and the costs associated with that become much higher. All right, so Ren, yeah, so Randy, you're getting into one of my favorite discussions when it comes to, to healthcare and opportunities for pharmacies. And, and this really ties into, um, if we're looking just at medication cost, and there's been a number of studies related to this, that even pharmacists related in, you know, MTM adherence activities, where th those activities are very likely to improve, to increase, excuse me, medication um, cost or number of medications, because if you're optimizing a therapy for a patient, you know, they may be taking their medication more routinely, uh, which depending on what those medications are, that may mean an increase in cost uh, for the patient, right? Or for the health, health plan or for the system. But that's not a bad thing because ultimately if the patient is taking the right medications um, wherein they can afford it, 
not experiencing side effects, et cetera, those can all lead to total reduction in healthcare spending for the employer, for the patient, the, the plan, et cetera. And that's really where we need to get to that integration uh, with the prescription spend, the medical spend, and have the data and background there. Um, that, that right there is another opportunity where, again, it, it's going back to the data, um, where having access with that data and being able to show that benefit that to me is kind of that holy grail for where pharmacists have a real opportunity. So pharmacists that are integrating and able to work and play with that um, that data and show that cost benefit analysis, um, that's where the real opportunity exists. Let me ask you then, Nick, from your and this is just obviously your perspective on this. How close are we to getting that? I mean, we're getting pockets. You know, the reimbursement's not quite there to offset the amount of losses that pharmacists are experiencing on the on the product side. How close do you think we are as far as where it's a fully recognized, you know, service that pharmacists are paid, truly paid uh, for the work that they do? And even if it's in a value based where, you know, you have to demonstrate that you did something and that you impact something. I get that. But if you're doing that, what do you how close are we? Are we five years, 10 years, one year? How far are we from getting that recognition? I I think it's going to be uh, completely <laughs> completely different, um, really based on uh, location. Um, so just even as an example, I'm originally from the state of Rhode Island, um, you know myself, um, but I now live in in North Carolina. Um, my experience going through pharmacy school in Rhode Island versus now living in North Carolina, and then just being familiar with what pharmacists are able to do in different different states. Um, there is a large variance that does exist based on scope of practice that pharmacists are able to uh, engage with. And I think that makes a really big difference because the more that pharmacists are able to do, the more opportunities they have engaging with, with payers and other groups. So, you know, for pharmacists in places like the states of, uh, you know, Washington or um, Oregon and, and, you know, California, where they have some kind of version of provider status, those are probably pharmacists and groups that are going to be a little bit closer to this just because they've already had some of those conversations. Whereas, um, you know, pharmacists in the state of North Carolina, where I'm at currently, not quite there, you know, Rhode Island, not quite the same. And, and those are just examples. I'm not meaning to pick on on those states, sure. um, but there, there definitely is a variance that that goes to how those conversations have already been occurring and where we are in that timeline. Um, I, I think that some of these opportunities do already exist, maybe not as expansive as we would like to see them, um, but in some cases they're already there. And, and Randy, I think your question is speaking to when when do we start to see it where you know all pharmacists have this capacity or capability to engage with those um, or with those different kind of health plans and services. The other item I would I would think about when it goes to those opportunities and a, a, you know a common catchphrase that is used is think globally but act locally. Um, it really it really behooves uh, pharmacists to work with um, groups that are in their location that have the similar struggles with uh, patients that they that they may be having. Um, so there's there's a lot of items where if you're talking with the local um, physician's office on what struggles that they're having in our employer group that's having certain struggles. You may find that there's many common threads in terms of where there are opportunities to improve patient care. So I don't have an exact timeline, um, but in, in terms of how we're successful with doing that, I think it comes to having those conversations locally with the groups, um, engaging with your um, local and state pharmacy organizations and boards of pharmacy as it relates to opportunities for pharmacists and what services they can provide. And then the other part of it is really engaging with the patients. Um, 
it, you know, if, if you're engaging, engaging one patient and getting them really on board, it's not just engaging that one patient, right? Because they're going to be telling their, their family and their friends about what services that they're able to get at the pharmacy and the, the great level of engagement, uh, friendliness, and accessibility that, that, that they have. So it's really going to be a multifaceted approach that gets us to that future state. Yeah, I totally agree, Nick. And I guess, you know, I, what I'm hearing is that it seems to be more of a discussion than now than it was in the past, <laughs> which is good. Absolutely. Yep. yep. And it's multi and it's you're right. There's there's multiple focuses we have to look at. But I think the one word that came, I came up with as you were speaking was advocacy, that pharmacists really need to advocate for not only their practice, but for the profession. They need to advocate at the patient level by demonstrating the kind of services that can help that patient optimize their medications. They need to advocate on behalf of working with other providers and with other groups within their community, saying we can be part of the solution. You know, how can we work together collaboratively to help optimize patients' medications, reduce events related uh, to their health conditions or to inappropriate use of medications? They have to advocate on behalf of going to payers and letting them know the value that they can provide, going to legislators um, and go going to the boards of pharmacy to get um, the scope of practice expanded so they can provide some of these services uh, for patients. So I totally agree. I think this, this advocacy, you know, I, I frequently say it's, it's like the, the uh, Dr. Seuss uh, book, uh, Horton Hears a Who. We all better be yelling because if we're not all yelling together, we may not be getting the message across to people. Yeah. And well, it's that, Randy. And then the other part of it, the other truth is that um, if you aren't going and talking to what legislators or, or other groups or, or patients about this, you can sure bet that other people are going and telling them about what are their needs and what are their priorities. So at some point there, it becomes very much a what's the consistent messaging that people are hearing. And if pharmacies not if pharmacy doesn't have a uh, clear-cut message there, um, you know that that nobody out there is really knowing what our requests or what our asks are. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. So thank you for that. So my next question is, you know, as we just talked and as you just said, the future is very hard to predict. But based upon your work and the trends that you're seeing within your industry, what is PQS's insights on the future of pharmacy practice and readiness of community pharmacists? Yeah, so Randy, I would uh, I would look at um, and on our website pharmacyquality.com, we actually have a um, quality trend report that we put out earlier this year, um, and it's really our first stab at, at this. But we'll have future iterations, and the first one was really survey based around readiness, capacity, and interest in in moving forward as it relates to enhanced services and, and outcomes based measures. We'll have additional iterations of the report that are going to be looking more specifically at data trends. But for the first time around, it was really taking the pulse of the industry. And and, and I would um, point to some of the findings that we had there. We did surveys with patients. Um, we did surveys with payer groups and, uh, and then also with pharmacists. Um, generally, the findings that we found that were that patients are trusting um, and that they, they do like their pharmacist. Um, I know that's not a surprise, and that generally the more services that they use from their pharmacist or their local pharmacy, the more likely they would go back for other services or recommend it to um, other friends, other family members. No surprises there. From the health plan consideration, um, health plans are looking for pharmacists to step up. There are a number of barriers that do exist there, mainly kind of documentation and data sharing. 
So I'm sure that's not a surprise. And Randy, I know you've crossed some of, some of those barriers um, uh, in, in your experience with, with the pharmacy. But when we get to the pharmacy, I would say in the responses that we got from pharmacy organizations, um, and just to give a little bit of color context here with this, um, we, this was in terms of pharmacy organizations that responded, this uh, was uh, pharmacy operators, directors from both chain and then groups representing independent pharmacies. So some of them being kind of uh, co-ops, but then also for some PSAOs um, that were responding. So we had a pretty big mix that represented a large number of pharmacies across the US. Um, when it does come to pharmacist readiness to uh, work with outcomes based measures and providing other enhanced services, there is a pretty large disparity between pharmacies that are um, not yet thinking about those services and how to achieve those outcomes, some that are in development for those items, and then others that are ready, willing, and able to do it right here, right now. So um, if you're a pharmacist or in an organization that's uh, still kind of sitting in those first two groups that I mentioned, um, I would say that that's an indication that we got to you know pick up the pace um, because one, we're not really achieving the best um, outcomes and opportunities for our patients, but um, two, as the market is shifting, we're also behind the curve. So um, it, it is something where usually the lead dog is the one that is going to set the pace and the opportunities that are there. So I, I would say from that from that part of it, um, we need to be continuously moving. Some are going to do it faster than others, and and that's fine. That does happen. Um, but that readiness and, and the advocacy, as you said, Randy, are going to be the key items for how we get to that future. That's great. And one of the things I will I'll mention as well, too, and Nick, um, I'm, are you familiar with Flip the Pharmacy? I am, yes. Very good. So with Flip the Pharmacy, as you talked about um, the doc documentation, that's the whole purpose of us really pushing that the e-care plan becomes kind of our focal point as far as are we transforming practice because of the pharmacists not only provide the services, now they have the time and the capacity to document the care that they're providing and put it into a standardized format that can be shared, um, not only with providers, but from a quality assurance perspective with CPS and USA who can then go to payers. And so our goal, you know, at the end of this five years is to have a million e-care plans submitted and having an impact on A1Cs and blood pressures, having that document, the kind of impact that we had is that aggregate data that has power. And you also mentioned about the a large disparity between pharmacists and pharmacies. I totally agree with that as well, too. And this is where, you know, those pharmacies that are ready to start the transformation process, you know, the capability um, is there. And if you got the desire, we've got the tools. Um, those tools with Flip the Pharmacy are uploaded on a regular basis so that even those pharmacies not participating in Flip the Pharmacy um, can get access to those. Um, so I would say to everyone that this the time is now. Um, we, we've been talking about this for a long time. We talk about the value of pharmacists. Well, we've got health plans, as Nick just said, who are saying, okay, we want to see that data. If they see it and they experience it, they're more likely then to utilize it and pay for it. So we need, to, we need to step it up and make sure all of us are doing all that we can to improve our practices. And I am the same. I've been doing this for a long time, and I push, I push everyone within our practice. I push myself. I'm never there. We're never there completely. we got to keep pushing ourselves to keep doing a better job and, and demonstrate our worth to, to society and, and to uh, um, our patients. Nick, do you have any parting words you'd like to provide to our listeners? 
Yeah, so and uh, Randy, really appreciate the opportunity to time and uh, time and uh, today to have this discussion. And uh, you know, one thing that comes to mind for me, um, and uh, I, I lived in Washington D.C. for three years and um, became a big Washington Nationals fan while, while when I was there. So this week has been a good week for me since they did just win the World Series. Um, and I was reading a, a really interesting article um, yesterday morning about um, how their success came through in the playoffs and. And a lot of that dealt with the infusion of both um, utilizing data and analytics, but also having a good um, kind of gut feeling. Um, so it, it is an item where I always have to provide this reminder uh, or recommendation to folks that um, you got to know and you have to understand the data. You have to work with it and you have to be able to describe your story based on the data. Um, but we can't just blindly follow the data either. Um, a patient is a patient. We want to treat the patient, not a number. Um, so it's important to know and to understand the data and have the conversation for it. Um, and it goes the same thing for clinical guidelines, right? Clinical guidelines exist for a reason, but they're not applicable. Um, they're not appropriate for 100% of patients, there's going to be differences. Uh, and that's where it's really important to know and understand the data and the numbers and to be able to explain what some of those items are. So while we've talked about data and working with health plans for data and other parts there, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about, um, you know, it's important for pharmacists to um, still maintain that patient-centered approach and keep that front and center at all times. I think I think 99.9% .9 of pharmacists have that top of mind already, uh, but want to make sure that that's not lost in our messaging today. Well, I appreciate that. It is all about the patient, and sometimes we can um, get kind of mired in into the data, and sometimes that may, you know, um, make it more difficult for us to make a good decision. But if you get focused back onto the patient, do what's right for the patient, then it's the right thing. And as Bob Osterhaus um, famously said, if it's right for the patient, then it's right for pharmacy. So, Nick, thanks a lot for your time today, and we appreciate all the work that you're doing to help pharmacy move along with the performance uh, metrics that uh, are being developed, and um, we look forward to working with you in the future. So thank you. My pleasure, Randy. Thank you very much. Have a good day. The Thrive Subscribe podcast is brought to you by Thrive Pharmacy Transformations. Visit us online at tptransformations.com, where you can join our free community to inspire you, challenge you, and transform your pharmacy practice.